Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, there are a few things that I'd like to discuss. Um, and under the kind of the category of uh, unlocking the moment and being able to really access, uh, access the present and, and, and the upside of that and avoiding the downside of that, meaning to say, to be able to, you know, really kind of be tuned into what's actually going on so that we can take part in sort of the, the, the riches that are presenting themselves to us every single moment. And also, um, a, a strategy for uh, avoiding um, uh, really uh, spiritual fall and um, uh, ruination, mistakes. So, so all, all under the category of, of, of the moment. So uh, there's, a, there's a teaching that was going around uh, a, a, a short while back, and I, I like it. It's, it's sort of very catchy. And um, I was thinking about it because this, this, this week's Parsha, Chai Sara, the, the life or the lives of Sara, um, is really talking about life and, and its different dimensions in this world and the next. And so, anyway, the teaching goes like this. I, I don't know who said it, so I, I can't mention the name of the person. But, but contrasting the English word for life and the Hebrew word for life. And if you take the English word for life, the middle two letters are actually I-F, if. And so a lot of people feel in a more sort of secular context uh, that, that life, my ability to enjoy life, say, or fully realize life, is contingent on these two middle letters. If, if I have this, if I have that, if I have this, if I have that, then I'll be able to have life. Interestingly, if you look at the Hebrew word for life, it's Chaim, and the middle two letters are Yud and Yud, which spells out the name of God. So you see that the core of the Hebrew concept, or the Jewish concept of life, is actually God, and that God is at the center. And the great thing about God is you have God and God has you. No matter what, wherever you go, whatever you do, you have God and God has you. In this world and in the next, you, you never don't have God and God never doesn't have you. So, so in other words, you're starting from this place not of, um, you know, a, a you know, hypothetical level of attainment, if, but from a very concrete core place of right now. You have it right now. And we celebrate the present in every single week, every single moment, hopefully. But certainly every single week we're celebrating, there's a holiday, you know, it's, it's sort of amazing that, um, that there actually is a Jewish holiday every single week, and it's called Shabbat, it's called the Sabbath. And it's actually listed at, at a certain place in the Torah with the other Moedim, with, with the other holidays. It's actually included. I don't know if it technically is a Moed, a, a holiday, but nonetheless, the Torah itself lists it with the other holidays. So, so you know, it's, it's funny because there's um, one of the explanations of uh, Haman, one of the great enemies of the Jewish people who tried to eradicate the, the Jewish people. We celebrate his defeat on the holiday of Purim. Um, one of the reasons uh, that he really hated the Jewish people was because he said, we have so many holidays. 
And so the joke is that we said, you know, just for you, we're going to make one more. <laughs> and so we have Purim, you know, which came as a, a result of his defeat. And there's an old joke which I, I always like, which is, um, in this joke, Hitler, his name should be erased, uh, goes to a fortune teller. And the fortune teller tells him, you are going to die on a Jewish holiday. And he says, which one? And she says, any day you die is going to be a Jewish holiday. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, we have this, we, have, we actually have a holiday every single week. And it's true because you, you know, ideally, really, you're supposed to wear your, your best clothes and you're supposed to eat, you know, the, the whatever, you know, your favorite food is and have it ready beforehand and set the table and all the rest. So it actually is, if you, if you do Shabbos right, it actually, is a, it actually is a holiday. I mean, you experience the holiday aspect of it. So, so anyway, um, I, I came across... Just to go deeper into this idea, I came across this, um, this, this wonderful gematria um, from the, uh, the Imre Noam, who's, that's the, the Jikover Rebbe, and uh, he, says, he says the following, that, that the word um, for, well, maybe, maybe we'll just uh, Go in Lechadodi. Lechadodi is one of the, the great um, songs that, that introduce Shabbos. We sing it Friday night before Shabbos, and it's, it's always like a kind of like, you know, celebration when you sing this song, and, and there's always a lot of dancing and a lot of joy when we sing it. And one of the, one of the uh, lines from Lechadodi, and by the way, the, the author of Lechadodi is buried in Sfat right next to the Ari. You know the, the the you know considered the greatest perhaps kabbalist that 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 ever lived. So he's so the the author of these lines is Rabbi Alkabez is right next literally like next door to the to the Ari. I'll just tell you one uh, quick story that um, the last time I was by the the last time I was by the Ari's kever uh, gravesite in Sfat. You know I guess there's ideally you know. Uh, well, things are a little bit different in Israel. But all things being equal, you're not supposed to go, I guess the Jewish tradition is you're not supposed to really kind of walk around graveyards at night for whatever reason. In Israel, it's a little bit different because, especially Jerusalem, because they have a tradition that you're not supposed to let a, a, a day go by without burying someone who's nifter, so, so who's, who's left the world. So in, in other words... Even if you have to bury them at night and you have the cemetery at night or the funeral at night, then you, you, you do it at night, right? But normally speaking, like say in America, for instance, you know, there are no workers who are at the cemetery at that time and everything like this. So you, you'll wait the next day. So, but that's not the case in Israel. But again, all things being equal, you, you, you wouldn't go in at night. So um, I remember I, I was in Jerusalem and we were going to Sfat and, and, uh, and anyway... Long story short, we get to the Ari's uh, uh, burial place at night. And I was with someone, and I said, well, should we go in? It's, it's nighttime, you know, it's like, there's no one in there. You know, and it's like a very popular place where people go, and they go, and they pray, and everything like this. And he was like, no, 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 we, we can go in. Later, I found out that really the tradition is not to go in, but anyway, so 
<laughs> except for his yurt site. So, so we're walking around, you know, in this empty cemetery, and there are a couple of people like. Like I remember in front of the the tomb of one of the prophets, I forgot which prophet it was, but one of the Treasar, the their, their, the the amount of their recorded prophecies are pretty small, so they're all kind of grouped together. Um, but there was someone just sitting there who was clearly out of his mind, <laughs> and he had a talus over his head and was just sitting in front of this prophet's gravesite in the middle of the night. Actually, it wasn't the middle of the night, but it was dark, so it felt like the middle of the night. Anyway, that that image just kind of stays with me just because it was like, well, there's a story there, but I'll never know it. Um, anyway, what I'm getting to is that from the Ari's mikveh uh, to the Ari's grave, there's this, there's this like wooden bridge and these planks of wood that you walk on and they kind of like creak, like, you know, like you don't want to fall through them, <laughs> you know, but it's, and then the person I was with had a little tiny flashlight on his keychain. So we were kind of going through with the clanking thing and it was like a very precarious, you know? And, but here, here's the point of the whole story. This is the only thing really I wanted to tell you. <laughs> Somehow I told you a few things more, but this was really the whole point, was that the Ari's kever, his, his grave, you know, which are made out of big stones, um, was on fire in the, in, in the night. And it was sort of like, I thought, am I imagining it? Because it seemed to be engulfed in flames. And I thought, this, that can't be, really. Like, how, you know, how could that be? And actually, as I got closer, it was, in fact, covered in fire. But it was all these lit candles that people had done, you know, if you visit a gravesite, in fact, I'll tell you something. One of the, my favorite things that I ever saw in Israel, outside of one of the grave sites, I forgot which one it is, there's actually a vending machine that sells yurtzeit candles. <laughs> That's the only thing that it sells. Like, like you put in and then you turn it and then you get some candles that you can light by the graves, right? In like middle, in metal cans. Like no, no candy, no like aspirin. This is like only in Israel would you have a vending machine that just sells candles that you light by a gravesite, you know? It was really beautiful. So anyway, this whole grave was like stacked with all of these candles. And because it had just become nightfall, they were still burning from when people were there during the daytime to light them. So as a result, the the... It, it created the appearance from not too far away that the grave site was on fire. So it was really kind of cool. Anyway, so the rabbi that I'm quoting to you is, uh, Rabbi Alkabez, is, is buried right next to it. So, so, so he writes in the Chadodi, he says, he says that, uh, that, that Shabbos itself is, is the source of all blessing, okay? So how does he say it in... Um, yeah, he says, Kihi makor habracha, right? Likra Shabbos l'chuven elcha, kihi makor habracha. That Shabbos is the source of blessing. So now, again, we're talking about 
being in the moment and showing how Shabbos is really the headquarters of being in the moment. And so this gematria, um, with this in mind from the, from, from the Jikover Rebbe, he says the word, um, the, the root for the word uh, for blessing is base reish chaf, right? That's for bracha, barach, base reish chaf. And interestingly, the straight gematria of that is 222. And there's a great maral on that. Why would there be a, um, why would the, the number for blessing, 222, be that? Because the nature of blessing is to multiply. So you see, everything is two. It's gone from one to two. Everything is doubling. So there you see, like, blessing in action. Like, um, you know, when you bless someone, it's usually that they should have more of a particular thing. So here you see that the, the, the root number for blessing is 222. But now, interestingly, in Gematria, the final letters of the Hebrew alphabet have a different, have a different Gematria, or they can if you like. So, so that's a diff, just a different system. So the, the final letter of Barach is Chaf, but it's the Chaf Sofit. It's the, the final chaf. So, so if you want to assign a unique number to the final letters, that number is now 500. Okay, so now let's do a new gematria for that word. So it would be 500 for the final chaf, 200 for resh, so that makes 700, and for the bays, it was, it's two. So the word for blessing becomes 702, which is the same gematria as Shabbat. So you see the word for Shabbat and blessing, it's the identical gematria. So, so that means that it has the same spiritual DNA. And what did we just say? And we see a reference to it in Lachadodi, that the Sabbath is the source of blessing. So you see that the word for blessing and Sabbath is the same, same number. So, so What's the cause and effect? So, interestingly, is it that blessing manifests itself as Shabbos? Or is, that, is it that Shabbos results in blessing? And so, the truth is, both work. Both work. And I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Zohar that, that the way, sort of like, um, the week is organized is that on, on the day of the Sabbath itself, that's where the blessings come down for the entire week. So Shabbos is a vessel, is a kli, that holds all the blessings that are coming down for the entire week. And so again, here you see that dynamic in action, where the word for blessing and Shabbos is actually synonymous. And in fact, in time and space, they happen at the same time, in the same way. So... So this, I know that I experience this in my own life, that it's sort of like Shabbos is just about, is just about the now. And I heard a story recently that I, I really liked that I, I thought like kind of illustrates this. And then I have my own version of this too, but I'll just tell you this story, which is that, so the way this is a made up story, but I, I, I think the point for me anyway was very impactful. So, uh, you know, there's a kind of like a, a, a guy from America goes to Mexico and he goes to this little 
fishing village, and he there's this little um, kind of stand, and a, a local Mexican guy is selling this fish, and he buys one of the fish, and he tastes it, and he's like, "This is fantastic! This is I, this is so good! I never had fish like this before. Let me, I want to buy some more." And the guy says, "No, you know, I only catch a few, and I'm done. That was the last one." He says, "Really?" He says. Well, are you going to catch some more? He goes, no. What I do now is that now that I've sold my fish, I go and I buy some wine. And I drink some wine. I take a nap on the beach. I meet with some friends. And then the next day I get up and I catch some more fish. And he says, well, listen, this, you have a very high quality product over here. He says, trust me, I, I'm in America. I know how these things work. And I can tell you that people will really want this fish. So let me just propose to you a, a plan, okay? Which is, we're going to catch a lot of these fish, like way more. We're going to make like a big company. And we're going to sell lots and lots of them. And soon you're going to climb your way up this company. And after a period of years, we're going to go public. And then you're going to make a whole lot of money. And you're going to run this company. And it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of work. But we're really going to build it up. And then the guy says, well, but why? He says, I'll tell you why. Because then you're going to sell the company and you're going to have so much money that you're going to be able to retire. And he says, well, what am I going to be able to do when I retire? He says, you're going to go anywhere you like. Like you, you can go to Mexico. And then if you want to do some fishing, you can catch a few fish. And then you can buy some wine. <laughs> you can take a nap on the beach. You can socialize with friends. He says, I'm doing that now. <laughs> so it's like, what I love about that story is it's such a, you know, we, from the American standpoint, you know, we look at this guy who's, who's who it seems, he seems to be the classic underachiever by Western sort of like capitalistic, you know, standards. Here's a guy who's like, what is he got? He's, you know, but meanwhile, what, what, the lifestyle that he's living is the envy of the lifestyle of the person who's working, you know, 80 hour weeks, you know, who's killing himself to have the lifestyle of the seemingly impoverished underachiever. You know, so it's, it's, it's worth thinking about. But again, it's like this idea about being in the moment and the blessing of Shabbos, because Shabbos is that oasis in our week, in our lives, where we're able to be, you know, so to speak, that, that, that Mexican fisherman. Meaning to say, we're able to just sort of like enjoy, as opposed to work, 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 in order to enjoy. Like, that's the great gift of Shabbos, is that it sort of institutionalizes the moment. You know, so you can be in the moment. And I know, I had, the reason I think why I like this story so much is because I had the identical realization in my own life uh, a few years back. I was walking to Shul Shabbos morning to the, to the Happy Minion. And, um, and I was just kind of, you know, just kind of thinking about different things, whatever it was. And... For whatever reason, I asked myself the question. I said, what is your, like, 
ultimate success kind of like fantasy. So I thought, well, I don't know. I guess I would create a TV show and it would be a critical darling and, you know, a big ratings hit. And then it would go into syndication and then I'd have a, you know, a boat full of money. And then I thought to myself, well, then what would you do? I mean, I said, well, what would I do right now? Let's see. It's Shabbos. So I'd be going to shul to the happy minion. And I thought, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so, so there you go. So this is, to me, this is, this is the ultimate uh, advertisement for Shabbos. Because Shabbos, it, it, again, it's, 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 the same, it's the same word. Blessing and Shabbos is the same word. Because you're able to actually participate in life in the moment. Now, I want to segue into, uh, stay on the same theme, but, but, but approach it from a different angle and, and use as a point of departure another very amazing gematria that I saw from the, the, the Jikover Rebbe. And he's quoting for the, from the Tikkune Zohar. Okay, so these are very, very exalted sources. Now, when we talk about livelihood, there's sort of like, one verse in the Torah, um, it's in the Psalms, that if you say, okay, what is the verse for livelihood? It would be, right? And that's the one that it, it says when you say it, you're really supposed to really concentrate on that and just know that, that God is, uh, is providing for our needs, okay? And it really, it means... You open up, referring to God, you open up your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Okay, meaning God is feeding us all the time. Okay, so I had a thought on that one time, which was that I, I thought, you know something, this is such an important verse. People pay so much attention to it, and I never actually even looked at it. So I thought maybe if I look at it, I might see something in it. So I just kind of looked at it for a while. And I counted the number of words, and I saw, oh, seven words. And then I counted the number of letters, and I said, 24 letters, 24-7, right? Because this is the idea, that seven days a week, 24 hours a day, God is feeding us. And then I thought, well, is that true? You know, I'm not eating anything right now. And yet, anyone who's attended, like, a single science class knows that the body is actually metabolizing food that you ate whenever you ate, whenever you ate it. In other words, your body right now is being fed by food that you ate earlier in the day, yesterday, who knows how long ago. And that's every single creature in the entire world, every single moment, is either eating or metabolizing food. So it's actually true that God is actually feeding every single creature every single moment of every single day. And that's reflected because the Torah is always working on a zillion numbers of levels. So poseg tzedecha umasvilokolcharetzon is 24-7. Okay. But now let's go deeper. This is from now the Tikkuni Zohar, what I'm about to tell you. Okay, from the Jikover Rebbe. So the Tikkuni Zohar says, don't say poseg et yadecha, say poseg et yudecha. Okay, so 
okay, what's, <laughs> what is that like? Okay. <laughs> I realize you just said something, but I don't know what that is. Okay, so, so yadecha means your hands. And yad is actually a very interesting word because yad, um, which means hands, is the hand, rather, is the gematria 14. Yudin Dalit is 14. And if you count, you'll see you have 14 bones in your hand. Okay? So um, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. It, it shows you really how, like, Reb Shlomo says that our, our, our tradition is that God created the world using the Hebrew letters. And that when the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew. Because Hebrew is actually the sound of nature. So you see it reflected really so many different ways, but this is one of countless examples that the word for hand, yad, is also the number of bones in your hand. 14. Okay. So now, poser et yadecha means you open your hand. But the tekune zar is saying, read it, you open your yudecha, which means your yuds. God, open up your yuds, the letter yud in the plural. Open up the letter yud and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Okay, so now we're going to get a little more, a little deeper, okay? Because we know that the, one of the names of God, when you see it spelled out in, say, the, um, in the prayer book, is the letter yud and yud, two yuds together. And that's the, name, that's the name of God. That means God. But Yud and Yud together is actually a contraction of two longer names of God. That's sort of just like a, a summary when you have two Yuds together. And if you look in the Sephardic Siddur, they always spell it out very nicely. And you can see it presented very, very clearly. There are two names of God that are, if you intertwine them, right... The first letter is Yud of Yud Ke Vav Ke. And then the last letter is Aleph Dalad Nun in Yud, which is also pronounced Adonai, but it means a different aspect of God. And that ends with the letter Yud. So when you interweave these two names, like it is in the Sephardic Siddur, where they actually do interweave them so that you'll have the Yud of the Yud Ke Vav Ke, followed by the Aleph of Aleph Dalad Nun and Yud, followed by the He of the Yud Ke Vav Ke, followed by the Dalad of the Aleph Dalad Nun and Yud. So you get the idea, they're, they're, they're interspersed. What you have is a combined name of God that begins with the letter Yud and ends with the letter Yud. Okay, but what are these two names of God? What does it mean? So the Yud Ke Vav Ke is the infinite name of God. This is the ultimate name of God. And really the way Reb Shlomo put it one time is it means God, master beyond boundaries. That, that God in his infinity is the master of everything beyond, beyond, beyond. Now, Aleph, Dalet, Nun, and Yud, interestingly, like when people use the word master or sir in, in contemporary Israel, they say the word Adoni which is that same name, but just pronounced differently. And that means, sir, that's a sign of respect. Or my master, whatever it is, Adoni. And that's a sign of God as he works within nature. So, so this name of God, and Elokeinu, or Elokim, is very similar. 
as everyone knows, Elohim, Elohim is the gematria hateva, which means nature. So in other words, God as he manifested himself within the natural order, that's one experience of godliness, it's the same God, but that's one way that we experience God as he exists within nature. And then there's the infinite aspect of God as he exists beyond nature, as the creator and controller of nature. And so the idea is to integrate these two experiences into one experience, to know that there is a natural order, but that simultaneously it's being being controlled by the God who controls it and who can vary it at any single moment. Okay. So now this gets back to money. (laughs) Because is really talking about our livelihoods. And we're asking God, we're saying, open up your hand, meaning open up your yuds, meaning to say, open up nature, open up all the doors that might be closed, all the fixed order, open it up so that your infinite capacity is informing the finite experience so that everything becomes an opening for me. Right? You know, a lot of times you talk about a a business experience and you say, no, the door was closed, right? But now we're talking about the door being opened. Because all of a sudden the finite is being fused with the infinite. And now everything is an opening. So this is the kavana, this is the holy intention to say, open up your yuds, meaning to say that the natural order should be informed by the infinite in such a way that if there's anything that I run up against, it should open for me. And this is life also. This is life also. And now I want to tell you a story. So, so I heard this with my own ears and, uh, and it, it had a very profound uh, effect on me. And so again, just to introduce this order, this uh, story rather, what we're talking about, we're talking about the same thing, but we're talking about it from different angles right now. We're talking about the importance of the moment, being in the moment, how Shabbos is the headquarters of the moment. We're talking about how to experience the infinite in the context of the finite. We're talking about how life really is that ability to have a quality of life and not to have it defined by secular society, which just puts a price tag on it, when, when, when the ultimate goal of the price tag is to have that life experience, which doesn't have a price tag, which is just about being in the moment. Ah, you can drive yourself crazy. But again, it's just about being aware and being present. So with that in mind, listen to this. So I was speaking with someone, an extraordinary person, and he was uh, telling me the following. He said that he overheard his wife having a conversation on the phone, but just her half of the conversation. And then she hangs up the phone and he says, who is that? Because it sounded like something interesting was going on. And she said to him, well, uh, someone just uh, offered me a, a million dollar contract, but it would involve working on Shabbos, so I said no. Mm-hmm. And so, and by the way, that's not even why I'm telling you this story, but that, that's a pretty good story in itself, was how much of a non-event it was for her. 
And she said, if God wants to give me money, he'll give it to me in a way that I can get it. So it was just a, a no-brainer. So that, that then in itself was pretty interesting. Later on that same day, she had a terrible pain, nothing life-threatening, but serious enough to be hospitalized. So he's going, he's taking care of her. And they reached this conclusion together. I'm shortening it, but I just want to get to the point. They reached this conclusion together. And to me, this is greatness. This is greatness in action, okay? They reached the conclusion that as he was taking care of her, they were experiencing such a specialness and a richness in their relationship for a number of reasons, but, but it was legitimate. This, this closeness that was taking place from him being able to care for her, right? That they concluded this was the reward for turning down the million-dollar contract. Now, let's take five steps back for a moment, okay? Someone just lost a million dollars and was hospitalized. <laughs> That's how 99.9% .9 of the world would have experienced those series of events. But they saw it as just, here's just life flowing our way. This is just life flowing our way. And since God is good and everything that happens is good, what is the blessing in this moment? Oh, here's the blessing in this moment. An opportunity to increase our level of closeness with each other. And you want to hear something even more bizarre? That actually makes sense. <laughs> that, that actually sounds right. You know, I saw something, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it's something that just, uh, I mean, I, one of the Hasidic masters said, he's saying, you know, what's the big deal about a tzaddik? Like a tzaddik is really, you know, really that's kind of the ultimate thing that everyone you know, strives to be like this incredibly super righteous person, you know? He says, what's the big thing, what's the, what's, what's the big deal about a tzaddik? And this was, by the way, a tzaddik saying this, okay? He said, a tzaddik is someone who's just doing the will of God all the time. But then he says, you ready for this? He says, a worm does the will of God all the time. So to be, a, what does it mean to be a tzaddik? Just that you're basically like a worm. <clears throat> Like, are you really better than a worm? Because a worm is doing the will of God 24-7. So, okay, so a tzaddik is also doing the will of God 24-7. Now, that's a really, that's, that's, that's a very intense way of looking at life. But there, again, there's a, an incredible logic to it. Now, of course... A uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and that's going to be our next topic. Uh, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> of course, there is a very big difference, which is whereas a person is constantly being bombarded from every single side imaginably, uh, imaginable not to do the will of God and still does the will of God, 
that's, that's qualitatively different from a worm. But if you look at it from a, his perspective, you know, so, so what's the big deal? But anyway, to have this perspective that God is good and that everything that happen, happens is for the good and that I'm in the moment and that I'm just finding different ways to, to appreciate and to take advantage of whatever opportunity is being given me, you know? So now, now I want to approach this from a different perspective. I mentioned in the very beginning that I wanted to give a bit of advice, an insight that, that I got this week about, um, about uh, a strategy against the Yetzirah, okay? And, you know, I had heard this before, but I, I never really kind of like um, thought it through in terms of just like cause and effect and, and just... Um, the, 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 the interrelationship between body and soul. They say that, l- let me just introduce it by saying that in, in, in Torah, there is a, a very, very big difference between doing something and thinking about doing something, right? Like if you, um, it, you can think about or fantasize about doing something, but if you don't actually do it, it doesn't count as though you did it. You, you did not do it. The one exception, by the way, is idol worship. Right? So, but apart from that, you can fantasize about it quite a bit, and that's very different from actually doing it. Okay, fine. However, so let's just make that clear. Okay, however, if one fantasizes about a particular thing, then they weaken themselves in terms of their ability not to do it if they get confronted by a test in that thing. Meaning to say, if if someone is contemplating a particular action, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden they get surprised, like they get sort of like in the moment, they get a sudden opportunity to do that thing, whatever it is, there's, there's a good chance that that they may fall in that particular area because their defenses have become significantly weakened on that point. Now, I just want to give you a, now a concrete example, okay? You see, I heard in the name of Reb Chaim of Velozhin, he was the, the top student of the Vilna Gon. He asked a question that I think many people asked, which is, how is it possible that the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, the Beis Amigdash, could ever be destroyed? If it was God's dwelling place in the world, it's sort of like the, the ultimate structure. It's like beyond nature. We know miracles took place there, at least in the first Holy Temple. So how could it be that? It, it should have been impregnable. And the answer that he gives is, is, is very interesting. He says that if you look at the teachings, it says that because of our kind of like hating each other and doing all sorts of, you know, inappropriate things, that the divine presence left the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple, in a series of stages. And as such, at a certain point, the divine presence had actually left the Holy Temple, and then it was no different from an office building in terms of its level of 
kedusha or holiness. And at that point, it could be knocked down like anything else could be knocked down. So a person is compared to a mikdash. It's called a mikdash. That means like a, a temple. Like each person is like a is like a temple. And so if we contemplate and we fantasize about various things, what happens is we sort of, so to speak, like remove, we, we, we remove a little bit of divine protection in that particular area, the more we think about that thing, so that if we're all of a sudden, again, it doesn't count as though you've done it, you haven't done it, but all of a sudden you become much weaker in that area if you're attacked. Now, the rabbis teach in the Talmud a very interesting, I'll show you an interesting illustration of this in a moment, a very interesting lesson, which is that the Yetzirah, the negative inclination is actually stronger than a person. And that the only way that we're able to defeat it is because God helps us defeat it. So from here you see that it's, it's very important to have that integration of body and soul together. Your soul is a piece of God. You want body and soul integrated together because otherwise we don't stand a chance. It's just stronger than us, pure and simple. Now listen to this illustration of it. I was once thinking about it, so this is a kind of my thought, which is, you see this reflected in the order of blessings that we make on food. So, so for instance, believe it or not, let's say you have rice in front of you and chicken and vegetables and grapes and wine, and there's an order that you're supposed to eat them in based on the priority of blessings. All right? And in fact, I, I even read that, you know, sometimes um, there would be different occasions where you would have called a faher, which means a test. Like, for instance, if you wanted to marry a guy's daughter, they would give you a faher. The father-in-law would sit down with you and test you. Okay? So there are a lot of stories about the tests that people have gotten or things like this. And I know that one that I read about was he put a number of different foods in front of him and he, he invited him to eat, to watch if he understood which blessings to make first. Like how, how learned was he? So that, that would be like one, one of many, many stories in this area, okay? So, so anyway, I'll give you a very simple example of this which is that if you have a fruit in front of you and a vegetable, you're supposed to make the blessing over the fruit first before the vegetable. So why? Because the blessing over the fruit is bre pri ha'etz. Okay, that's a tree. That means fruit from the tree. Thank you, God, for the fruit from the tree. Okay, that's ha'etz. That's the fruit first. If you were to make the, veg the blessing over the vegetable first, that's Bre Prihadama, which means thank you, God, for bringing produce out of the land. Okay? Now, the land includes the fruit trees. So, if you were to make the, the blessing over the vegetable first, Bre Prihadama, that covers the entire land, then you've already preempted or said the blessing over the fruit tree because you've made the more general blessing over the land itself, which includes all the fruit trees. So if I were to make a brave prihadama over the vegetable first, now if I want to say thank you God also for the fruit trees, 
that's at that point a redundancy because I've already made the general blessing which included the fruit trees. Is that clear? Okay. So this way, if I, if I praise God for the fruit tree first, well, that didn't include the land. And then afterwards, I can bless God for the land and now it's not going to be redundant. Okay. So first you make it over the fruit, then you make it over the land. Okay. So, so now let's go back and see the spiritual principle at work here. So, so we say that the, the Yetzirah, the Talmud says the Yetzirah is actually stronger than a person. Okay? But because God helps us, because God loves us, he helps us and he helps us to overpower the Yetzirah. So you'll see this illustrated in this order of blessings in a moment. Where was the first manifestation in, in the Torah of the Yetzirah coming? When we ate from the Yetzirah, when we ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge. So, so the fruit, you see, is stronger than the Adama. What is Adama? The land, the vegetable, right? Adama is the words, is the same letters, Ha'adam, the person, right? And in fact, a person, Adama, a, a person is made out of the earth. That's why Adam is called Adam, because Adam is made from the earth, Adama. And by the way, the, the, the rabbis say, that's why people are so lazy, <laughs> because we're made out of earth, which just sits there. So we have to, we really... It's, it's built into our nature, laziness, unfortunately. So that's because we're made out of the earth. That's what the rabbis say from long ago. Okay. So, so, so you see that Eitz has precedence over Adama because, because the location of the first test in the Torah, the first example of the Yetzahara was when we ate from the Eitz Hadas, the tree of knowledge, and it overpowered Adam, human beings. Okay, but the halacha is, let's say you have a fruit in front of you and you have a vegetable in front of you. And you really, you're going to eat the fruit, but you really want this vegetable. That this vegetable is really delicious to you. You are actually allowed to reverse the order and have the vegetable first and then afterwards to say the the, the blessing over the fruit. Even though technically it's redundant, nonetheless, because you really, the word that they use is chaviv, because the adama, because the vegetable is really, has chain, has grace in your eyes, you're able to eat that first. And again, this shows you that the, even though the proper order is that the, the fruit goes over the vegetable, the Yetzirah overpowers the human being, Nonetheless, because God finds us chaviv, because God finds human beings desirable and full of grace, he allows us to reverse the order. And, you're actually, and you actually see this manifested in the halacha itself, that you can have a vegetable first before the fruit, if you really like it. So, this is an example of soul and body being fused together, that, 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 that God invests us with a certain power, 
to be able to overcome the Yetzirah, which normally speaking is stronger than us. But in order to do that, we have to integrate body and soul. And we can't allow ourselves to distance or separate the two. Because otherwise it weakens us. And so, and so we journey through. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the main verses that's, that's, that's commented upon in this week's Parsha. It says that, um, it says that Abraham was old, well on in days, and Hashem had granted him everything. So it seems like a redundancy. He was old, and he was well on in days. What, what is, what is, or that he came with his days. It says, that's the technical translation. He, he came with his, he was old, and he came with his days. So the Zohar says something very fascinating. That at the end of a person's life, all of the days that a person lived surround them. And only the ones that they elevated rise up with that person. So a person could simultaneously live a long life, but is very young in, in a negative way. Because he only has a certain number of days that are in his portfolio. And it says that a person's days throughout one's life surround them, waiting for them to be elevated. So if a person didn't use a day properly, they can still do tshuva and re-energize that day, and then all of a sudden they, they gain access to that day as well. And that the greatness of Abraham was that he brought all of his days with him. All of his days with him, which is a tremendous accomplishment. Now listen to this. Our tradition is that the last thing that we're supposed to say before we go to sleep is Shema Yisrael, Shema Lekein, Shema Echad. Okay? So we, we, we say the oneness of God. Now, there, there are certain technical reasons why we say it. Like, for instance, that should be ideally the last thing that a person says during their life in, in this world. And who knows, like, we should all live long, but sometimes people pass in their sleep. So we, if we say Shema Yisrael before we go to sleep, we, we can ensure that that was the last thing that we said. And then also if you say it and then, you know, your wife or your husband wants to ask you a question, you can always answer it. Don't say, oh, I said Shema. <laughs> mm, right? You just answer the question, you be a mensch, and then you say Shema again. That's all. It's a very, very simple solution. You know, so... so uh, so, so anyway, but still it should be, the la ideally it's the last thing we say before we go to bed. But I heard something uh, very deep on this subject, which is that, that each day has like a, a, a spark or something to it of holiness that needs to be elevated. And that each day is actually a miniature lifetime. And so when you're saying Shema Yisrael, at the end of the day, it's not just, oh, it should be the last thing that I say before I go to sleep. You're actually concluding this lifetime, which is this day, with Shema Yisrael. So this little lifetime 
that you've just lived in this 24-hour period. Shema Yisrael is the last words that you're saying on this miniature lifetime. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. And then you're elevating. You can be sure at that moment that you're elevating whatever you need to elevate. And, um, you know, one thing that I've been doing, I shared it with you, but I, I want to say it again because I, I feel something every time I do this. And, and I, I really recommend it to you that, that you should do this in your own life. And we'll, we'll, we'll end with this, which is the Rambam says that, that you should go to sleep on your left side. So leaning to your left, right, on your left side. And by the way, if different people sleep different ways, if that's awkward for you or if that's hard for you, you can just start that way and then if you, you can change your position a moment later. But just you have in mind that, all right, I began my sleeping process on my left. So don't make yourself crazy. But just if you just do it for a moment and have it in mind that that's the beginning of your sleeping process, then you can... You can have this Rambam, right? That's like, you know, it's like, what do you have in your pocketbook? Well, I have this Rambam. <laughs> I have this, you know, it's like, it's like treasures, right, that you're collecting. So, so you, can, you can be able to keep this Rambam. But, but then the second part of that is that when you wake up, you wake up on your right side in the, in the other direction. Okay, so again, you say to yourself, well, Really, how, how am I going to, it's like, it's like, this is like very advanced choreography while I'm unconscious, you know, you're asking a little bit much, but again, you just, before you get out of bed, you just roll on your right side, and then you've kind of completed the process, okay, so if it doesn't happen naturally, it's fine, but, but I thought about this for a long time, and, and, and here's, here's, here's the conclusion I came to. Just an extra thing to have in mind, and this is why I'm sharing this with you, is that when you go to bed, again, when you're saying Shema Yisrael on the day that's passed, on the lifetime that you've just completed, just like Shema should be the last words that you leave the world with, that you're leaving the day with these words, which is the end of a miniature lifetime each day. So you're reviewing the events of the day. And so when you're on your left side, you're looking to the past. That's you're facing the past. And you're looking at what you did or didn't do over the day. Right? But the next morning, when you wake up, you're looking into the future. And you know something? The future is unwritten. And there's something so, and I'm telling you this because I've, I've done this and I've experienced something very special every single time. I lie on my right side in the morning and I just look in that direction and I say, there's an entire future. There's an entire future in front of me and I have no idea what's going to happen next. Everything is open. Poserchet yudecha. Open your yuds, right? This idea of the finite being infused with the infinite, that any doors that are closed are now open at the start of the day, and that you can do anything that you want. 
and to realize that the greatness of life is in the living of life. Right? It's like, I once, this question once popped into my head. Are you living life or is life living you? Meaning to say, are you just responding to a series of reactions? Are you just reacting 24-7 to everything that's happening around you? Or are you seeing the future as this open canvas and what do I want to do with it? That, that's living life. And then maybe you'll have a goal or a plan and it will get frustrated or you won't necessarily see the result of it. I, I hope that we all do. But the process of going through with it and the opportunities and the interactions may even be more central and more important and more eternal than anything else. So Hashem should bless us just really with a fullness of days that we should all be blessed to have many, many days and to be able to bring them all with us into eternity. Amen. Yeah. Yeah.